Well, good morning, everyone. Um, As she said, Pastor Tom has been teaching um, on history makers in the Bible, and he asked me to teach on the book of Esther, because today he is traveling home with our uh, junior hires. He's been at camp all week, first with our um, elementary school kids, and then the last part of the week with the junior high kids. So pray for him and Brooke and Alex Eddy, who are camp leaders <laughs> as they come home today. Pray for their safety. And um, I'm going to open in prayer, and I'd like to ask you to join me. Father in heaven, I just pray your blessing and grace over each and every person that's here today. Everyone who's sitting here, Lord, that we hear what you want us to hear, Father God. The words that come out of my mouth are what you want me to say, Lord. And I pray that you've moved me out of the way, moved my personality out of the way, and God just pour your grace of oil, your oil of grace and joy over each and every one here, Father God. Show us how you work behind the scenes in our lives, even when we can't see your hand at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So have you ever wondered how God works, how he orchestrates so many little details, but it's all so that his plan and purpose comes together? Um, Do you ever wonder what part you play in his plan? I know I do. I've wondered what's my purpose, what's my calling, Um, And so today we're going to take a look at that in the book of Esther. This story has it all. It has good guys, bad guys, kings, queens, um, treachery, debauchery, all kinds of good stuff. Um, So, But one thing you will not find in this book is the name of God. And even though God's name and prayer is never mentioned, you um, you can see that his hand is at work throughout. And that's what providence is, is when God is moving all the pieces together behind the scenes. Um, But first I want to give you a brief overview of what was going on. King Xerxes was the ruler of Persia. Persia was, at this time in history, was the largest kingdom on earth um, as that they knew of. Um, And at this time he had thrown this great big bash to show off all of his wealth, all of his power, all of his might and his majesty. So he was just showing off how great he was. What he was doing though was trying to gain their support because he was planning a, um, an invasion of Greece, and so he wanted them to support that, because that was the only part of the known world that he didn't have control over. Um, so at the end of this 180-day bash, he threw a blank. So this first 180 days was just for all of the military leaders and his, um, you know, the higher-ups, so that he could get their support in his military plans. Um, but then at the end of this, he threw a seven-day banquet. That was just for everybody. It was for from the least to the greatest, and everybody was invited. And this was held in the palace garden. It was very lush and very extravagant. Each person ha- was given a gold goblet. With, that was Each of them were individual. There were no red solo cups here, and you didn't have to write your name with a marker. I mean, you had your own, so you knew it was yours, because this bash was lasting for a whole seven days. And then... Um, giving with the king's liberality, he told the wine stewards to pour all the wine they wanted. So they could drink as much as they want. I'm sure that there was lots of food. There were gold and silver couches, and the floors were made of precious stones. And so this was really something special, and especially for the peasants of the um, of the kingdom. You know, they weren't used to being invited to these things. So this was pretty awesome for them. Um, so on the seventh day, after he'd been partying all week, and he was, the Bible says, he was high in spirits from wine. In other words, he was pretty wasted by this time. He told some of his servants to go and qu- fetch his queen, Vashti. Now, Vashti was very beautiful, and um, he wanted to show her off in front of everyone. He told the servants to tell her to wear her crown, and some commentators think this meant to wear just her crown and nothing else. 
So uh, she said no. And if you know the history of this, that nobody said no to the king. If he called you, you came. But you also didn't enter his presence unless he called you to come in. So uh, this was not good. She embarrassed him in front of all of his um, people, from the least to the greatest, and so this wouldn't fly. Um, so he got rid of Queen Vashti. His, he had um, his people who would tell him what to do, his advisors, and they said, you can't let her get away with this because then all the women of the kingdom are going to think it's okay to disrespect their husbands and that they won't have to do what their husbands say. So the king wrote a decree saying that the women of the kingdom had to follow whatever their husband said, and they had to dispose of King Vashti. You know, it doesn't necessarily say that they killed her, but I would kind of assume so, because what are they going to do with her? Um, so, let's see. And so then this, his advisors, after his anger subsided, his advisors came to him and suggested that they do a search throughout the kingdom for the most beautiful young girls and bring them in to the kingdom, and then he could choose um, his new queen from this person, from whoever he thought was the most beautiful and liked the best. And so this wasn't like a Miss America pageant like we think of now where girls are raised up and they join this because they want to. But I think that, you know, they went through all the provinces of the whole kingdom, found the most beautiful virgins, and brought them in. So I don't think these girls really had a choice. Now, maybe some were kind of excited about it, but I kind of don't think so because they were taken away from their families and put into the palace to be um, prepared for this time. Um, once they were given... Um, taken into the palace. They were given beauty treatments for a year. Um, and then the girls were sent. So then um, after their year-long beauty treatments, they went in to the king, spent the night with him, and then they may or may not ever see him again. He, um, if he called them by name again, they would see him again. Otherwise, they were sent off to another part of the palace with the concubines, and they might just live out their lives there forever. Um, so then... Um, when it was Esther's turn, though, the king was more attracted to her than any of the, other, any of the others and made her a queen. Um, now, a little bit about Esther. She was an orphan. Her parents had died when she was little, and she was raised by her cousin Mordecai, um, who was a little bit older than her, and she was a Jew. Now, when she was taken into the king's palace, Mordecai had told her not to share her heritage, just to go along with everything and, you know, not to tell everybody that she was a Jew. Just a quick note to catch you up on Old Testament history. The Jews were taken into captivity, captivity by the Babylonians and, were, and the best and brightest Jews were taken to be restrained and reprogrammed in Babylon. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among the, those exiles. Babylon was defeated by King Cyrus, the Persian, and the kingdom was passed on to his son Darius. This is the king who threw Daniel into the lion's den. Um, Darius passed the kingdom to Xerxes and the Jews, though many had returned to Jerusalem, a lot of them were still in the kingdom of Persia and had stayed there. Um, and so this is how Esther came to be in this situation. Her cousin Mordecai was an official at the king's gate, and one day while he was there, he overheard two of the other guys that were there plotting to kill the king. So he um, told Esther, and Esther told the king, and so those guys were... Um, they were impaled on a pole, and so you don't want to do that, you know, like plot against the king. <laughs> and so, but it was recorded in the annals of the king that Mordecai was the one who saved his life. Um, and then we meet the evil Haman. Now, Haman is a very evil man, and um, 
the Jews, when they celebrate Purim, which is when they read the book of Esther, and it's um, where later on I'll get into how they had cast the lots, which was the poor, um, they, whenever somebody says, the, or when they read the story of Esther during the celebration of Purim, everybody hisses and boos when they hear the name Haman, because he was bad. So anyway, so, so we meet Haman, and Haman was given a seat of honor higher than any of the other nobles. He was the king's right-hand man. Um, the royal official, or the king had made a decree that the royal officials at the gate had to bow down and honor him whenever he passed through, but Mordecai, he would not do that. Mordecai was a Jew, and he knew that the only king he could bow down to, the only one he could bow down to was God, even though that's not mentioned, it's implied. Um, And so Mordecai refused to bow down to him or give him honor, and Haman was infuriated. He did not like that at all because everybody else bowed down to him. So having learned who Mordecai's people were, he decides not only kill Mordecai, but all the Jews. So he goes to the king, he tells him, um, there are these people in your kingdom. They don't follow our ways. They're different than us. They don't bow down to us like the, like the rest of our subjects do. So we need to um, put out a decree stating that they need to be killed. And so they had cast the poor, which was the lot. I don't know if it was like they rolled the dice. That's what I'm seeing in my head, but I don't know exactly what it was. But um, they did that, and it landed on the 13th day of the 12th month. So um, they... Um, posted the decree throughout the land so all the Jews knew that this was coming. So you can imagine the fear and um, how terrified they were having to wait all these months knowing that that they were going to be slaughtered. Um, So Mordecai sent word to Esther begging her to intercede on behalf of the Jews, but she knew that she would face certain death if she entered the king's presence. The king had people around him in his inner sanctum, that if you entered his presence, they, he, they were ready to kill you unless the king um, extended his scepter to you. So, um, and so, you know, this wasn't like a normal marriage where uh, the king and queen, they sat on their thrones next to each other and had dinner together and, you know, hi, honey, how are you today? No, their marriage was, it was like she didn't go in to see him unless he called her. Um, Haman convinces, or no, where am I? Sorry, I lost my place. So, so this brings us to the passage I want us to look at this morning. So if you brought your Bibles, open to Esther chapter 4, or you can follow along on the screen. Um, Chapter 12 says, when Esther's words were reported, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Now this is the key verse in this passage. Um, Has God placed you where you are for such a time as this? There is only one you. You're the only person walking this earth with your exact heritage, your exact experience, the precise family that you came from, events and suffering, of life that have brought you to this hour. Just as no, st- no two snowflakes are alike, you are unique, unique from everyone else. But God can take all those experiences and use them to make them into the men and women that he wants to use us to be, wants us to be for such a time as this. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says, uh, there is a time to be quiet and a time to speak. For Esther, that time has come for such a time as this. 
This same is true for each of us. It's not a coincidence that you live where you live or that you work where you work. Your relationships, your job, your friends, your everything and not, are not just because of dumb luck. It's providence. God has something unique for you to do. God has placed you where you are to be an influence for him and on the people around you. So instead of moaning about your circumstances, instead pray, Lord, how can you use me right where I am right now for such a time as this? So Mordecai understood and trusted that God would deliver his people. Um, Even if Esther decided not to act, Mordecai uh, was certain that help would come from another place. However, he also knew that God was constantly working, setting things in motion um, for the good of his people. And he points out to Esther that her newfound royalty may in fact be the reason that she was created. It may have been the reason for the events that had unfolded throughout her life to bring her to this very moment to be used by God for the deliverance of God's people. Esther was created for such a time as this. The first point in your outline is God prepares us. So before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. Now, wouldn't it be nice if when God's preparing us for the things that go on in our lives that we could have spa treatments and beauty treatments and, you know, that was all that was to it, you know, we could have six months of perfumes and oils and stuff, but no, that's not usually how we're prepared. Um, Usually our preparations are a little bit more difficult than that, but the time of preparation, it's usually the time of preparation in our lives that's the hardest, and it's where we don't see what God's doing. We can't see his hand. We're like, what is going on here? Have you really called me to this? Um, but this is where also where we see the most, um, where we see the God's blessings, and it's most usually where we grow mostly spiritually. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And then number two, God provides us with strength and courage. Now look at Esther's response in verse 16. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. What is done, or when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Esther gives us a good look of the proper way to prepare for a good step, for a big step, and, um, or to make a big decision, and it starts and ends with praying and seeking God, for earnestly seeking God and spending time with him. If you look at the first part of verse 16, Esther instructs Mordecai to begin to fast and to instruct the other Jews to do the same. While they were doing this, Esther and her maids would be doing the same thing. Before Esther acted, before she moved, she sought God. Um, What she was about to do could have resulted in her death, and she made certain that she was in tune with God and that she still stepped out in faith, or before she stepped out in faith. She ends this verse by saying, If I perish, I perish. Now, this wasn't a flippant comment like, Oh, well, if I die, I die, and it doesn't really matter because I don't matter anyways. She, um, this declaration was just a a declaration of her complete faith and trust in God. Um, If this is what God wanted and she was to die in her efforts, so be it. She would follow where she felt God was taking her. It didn't mean that she wasn't afraid, but that she trusted God enough to do what was being asked of her. It's like when Christ was in the garden and he asked for his disciples to pray, and he goes off to pray and says these words, now my will, but not 
not my will, but yours be done, knowing that death would follow, he was willing to proceed because he knew it was the will of his father. Esther has the same determination, and like Christ, before she took a step, she sought God and had those around her do the same. So, um, so just like Esther, how she, what she did saved God's people, what Christ did saved God's people. We are God's people. We're adopted into his family because of what Christ did. Now this, you know, Esther, was, it didn't mean that Esther wasn't afraid to go in and talk to the king, but she did it anyway. She did it afraid. And that's what God is calling us to do. Sometimes we think that, you know, if we're called to speak in front of people or if we're called to teach children or if we're called, God's calling us to go to college or whatever it is that God's calling you to do, that you need to feel at peace about it, that you need to have everything work out, every door open, everything just be in, um, in perfect alignment, but that's not how it is. We have to struggle through things, and that's what helps us to grow and to be ready for what God has us to do. Um, so just like, I mean, Christ knew that he was going to die, and it was terrifying and hard for him. He was, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating blood. So it wasn't an easy thing. God doesn't just make everything easy for us, but it's worth it when we work through those things, when God works through them with us, and then we see the outcome of how his hand is with us in each and every step of the way. Um, number three, God protects his people. Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. So when Esther went into the king, she didn't come right out and ask him to save her people. Remember, she hadn't told him that she was a Jew. She asked um, that he and Haman attend a banquet the following day and another banquet the day after that. After the first banquet, Haman really thought he was something special because he was the only person besides the king that was invited to this party. Um, he went home and bragged to his wife and friends about his vast wealth and his high position and how many sons he had and... Um, but you know what? There was one thing that ruined that day. On the way home, he passed by Mordecai, and Mordecai would not bow down to him. And Haman was infuriated. He allowed um, Mordecai to not or to ruin his day. So when Haman told his wife and friends how it, how upset this made him, they were telling him, you know, you know what you should do? You should build a gallows seventy-five feet high and ask the king to hang Mordecai on it. And then you'll be rid of Mordecai, and then you can just go to the banquet and enjoy your day. So if he got rid of Mordecai, then everything would be great. So uh, Haman thought, you know what? That's a really good idea. That's what I'm going to do. So, um, but that night, the king couldn't sleep, so he had his servants read the annals to him and the story of how Mordecai had saved his life from those two men who were plotting to kill him. Now, is this a coincidence, or is this the providence of God ha God's hand that that he couldn't sleep. The um, particular story about Mordecai was read. Um, the next day, he, he, oh, then he realized he had never honored Mordecai for that. The next day, he asked Haman what he thought would be a good way to honor someone, and Haman thought, surely the king must be talking about me, because who would he want to honor more than me? Because I'm Haman, you know? And so um, he said, have them bring in a royal robe placed on his head. Oh, no, wait. Have them bring in a royal robe that the king has worn, and a king, horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal uh, crest placed on its head, then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one, the king's, one of the king's most noble princes. Then let them parade the man through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So the king said, now listen to this, go at once 
and do as you have suggested for Mordecai. Say, what? (laughs) I mean, come on now. So here is Haman parading Mordecai through the streets, proclaiming, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And he had to parade Mordecai, his mortal enemy, through the streets. Um, So he was pretty upset about that. Can you imagine? So afterwards, he rushed home and told his wife and friends what had happened and how humiliated he had been. And they said that since Mordecai was a Jew, there was no way Haman could stand up against him and that he would surely come to ruin. Boy, were they right about that. Um, before he could, they could finish their tirade and all their suggestions, Haman was summoned to attend the banquet. So at the second banquet, the king asked Queen um, Esther once again what her request was. He said, I'll give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. Now, I think that King said that just to say that. I don't think he really would have given her half of it, because since he owned her, he would still own half the kingdom, right? So anyways, but... Um, Esther finally told him what, es- what Haman's plan had been. Um, she revealed to him that she was a Jew, that Mordecai was her cousin, and um, that when the, first, you know, wh- when the first edict was written, the king hadn't, um, didn't know that. Now, some, when something was signed by the king and with his uh, signet ring, it couldn't be revoked. So we, this was going to happen anyways, whether, no matter what happened. But the king said, who would, do do such, who would dare do such a thing? And she answered, this vile Haman. The king was in a rage, and he had hanging, Haman hanged on the same gallows he had built for Mordecai. So, you know what? You plot evil against somebody, that's going to come back on you, maybe. And so Proverbs 11.8 comes to mind, which says, The righteous man is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. So point number four is God promotes us. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther was appointed, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. So some people feel like they need to manipulate and claw their way to the top, and that if they don't take care of themselves, then they're not going to get there. Um, but whatever position you gain through this message you're, or method, you're always going to feel insecure. You're always going to have to keep fighting and manipulating to keep that position. And that's what happened with Haman. He um, probably schmoozed the king, told him how awesome he was, and the king is the one that put him in that position, but he really didn't deserve that position. He was always um, insecure that um, one person, Mordecai, would not bow down to him when everybody else did. And that caused him insecurity because he knew he really didn't deserve that honor. Um, So Esther was given Haman's estate and made Mordecai the administrator over it. All that the evil Haman had manipulated to gain his position and wealth was now given to Mordecai. Um, What kind of, you know, I mean, poor Haman. (laughs) If he would have known, he would have been mortified. Um, Anyways, so Haman couldn't enjoy what he had because Mordecai wouldn't honor him. But if we're obedient in the place God has us and do our best with what we had, what we have right now, God will bring us promotion, and no one can take that from you. Once God promotes you, that's yours. Um, people can't take that away from you, and so you don't have to be insecure in it. Uh, Mordecai was given, given the king's signet ring that the king had taken back from Haman, and he wrote another decree that gave the Jews permission to gather together and protect themselves from anyone who came against them. All the nobles and king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. And you'll probably never become king or queen, but God is the one who will promote you. 
He is the one who places us in pr- positions where he wants us to be. We don't have to manipulate or climb over people to get where we think we should be. We just have to be obedient in everything God asks us to do. When God promotes us, we will be secure in our position, knowing that we, where we are where God wants us to be. Deuteronomy 28.13 says, The Lord will make you head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. So in conclusion, God is at work in our lives, even when we can't see him at work. God's name is never mentioned at this book, in this book, but his sovereign actions are everywhere. Um, his name may not be mentioned, but his, hand it is, but his hand at work is evident in many of the events that are seen in this book. God was a- obviously acting behind the scenes through a number of things, such as Esther being chosen queen over all of the other beautiful candidates, Mordecai discovering the plot to kill the king, um, the casting of lots for the day the Jews to kill the Jews was a date late in the year, which gave Mordecai and Esther plenty of time to act. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. So there are no chances, and there are no accidents. You know, you can throw the dice, but God is in control of it all. Um, and then each person plays an important part of the story. Esther isn't the only person who had an important role. Mordecai was also pivotal. If he hadn't been at the palace gate, he wouldn't have overheard the plot to kill the king, um, and he wouldn't have overheard the plot to kill the Jews. Um, If he hadn't taken in his little orphan cousin and raised her, who knows how that would have played out. Um, When we read the Bible, we don't find too many stories of God using a whole throng of people. He uses individual people to get his work done. He, and just as, um, so from Genesis to Revelation, we see see God's hands of the lives of individuals who made history because they did what was right regardless of the outcome. So you may not be queen, you may not be the leader, the pastor, or the boss, but you are important. Each person has an important role, and God has you where you are for such a time as this. It is not by accident that you are where you are. God is... Um, God is at work. If you have not yet given your life to Christ, it is no accident that you're here today. God has been at work to get you here and to give you this opportunity to become one of his children. Um, I would like for you to bow your heads, please, with me. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'd like if you, you to please look up at me so that I know that we're praying together, and then we'll all say this prayer together. So, Uh, let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of the living God and that you died on the cross so that I may now have forgiveness for my sins and have eternal life. I know that without you in my heart, my life is meaningless. Please, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Please, Lord, forgive me and come into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior today. I give you my life and ask you to guide my life from this moment on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I just want to tell you that you are all important. Every one of you has an important role to play in God's plan There is no accident. There is no coincidence.
everything can all be used together for the good of God. Thank you.